scientists on the science vs. spook show this is part two of biden or bust in bidenomics the risk factors if you missed part one episode number nine check it out but part two of that is continued now okay factor number three is the economy and you know you're hearing more and more economists come out and take back their recession calls and you know the economy is at the top of the list on these voter surveys and polls as the top factor for the majority of Americans and so right now of course you have relatively high inflation so last year you know a, a Moody's uh, study estimated inflation was taking an average of $433 from the average US household are roughly $5,000 a year. Okay. So inflation, you know, people are paying more for stuff. And inflation, of course, is like the the sneaky and silent tax man. And so, you know, of course, the government, where did this inflation come from? Or a lot of it, the government is passing out all these PP loans and STEMIs, stimulus checks. And, you know, it's popular, but the inflation, the sneaky inflation ends up taking more than you got from the STEMI. But you're not mad at the inflation because you can't see somebody in your pocket taking your money when you're paying 100% more for your food or 50% more, you know, for products and services, because it's going to be a silent thief. The inflation is going to be a silent thief where you're paying more and you don't know it. You're buying milk and you may not realize that inflation is now taxing you an extra, a silent tax of uh, extra 30, 50% are eggs. And so, you know, in this inflationary environment where the U.S. government is not able to print money to stimulate the economy, okay, that they have to keep interest rates high, which makes the debt financing and debt borrowing high, that this is a risk factor for Biden making it to voting time, the election where, you know, there's no recession. Okay. Uh, So you have credit card debt that just surpassed, you know, a trillion dollars for the first time. So the U.S. consumer is uh, highly leveraged. And on that credit card debt, of course, a lot of these people are paying, you know, 20, 35% on the credit card debt. So as credit card debt is going up, right, that's more and more pressure on the U.S. consumer at the same time that there's poor housing affordability. So houses are not moving like they were in the past three to four years due to the higher mortgage rates. And so if the housing market, which is a big piece of the economy, if that housing market stops or it starts to contract, right? So that's part of the risk factor with Joe Biden and potentially recession, because if this stuff starts to contract before the election in potentially goes into a recession, America goes into a recession from the various economic pressures, you would be safe to say that if there's a recession that happens, 
before the election, considering everything else, that there's a very high probability that Biden loses. So, you know, you're not going to have to be the best political scientist. You know, you're not going to need to know all this information that's out here. You're not going to need to study everything because if this country with these high interest rates and, and with the shaky real estate market and a shaky consumer, if this country goes into a recession, then that's almost a automatic, I would estimate that it would be almost an automatic MAGA win if you go into a recession before the election. Because, you know, let's look at it. You see some of the Democratic Party influencers and journalists, you know, they'll talk about, hey, you know, you have record low uh, black unemployment. You know, you have all these different positive things going on on Biden that he's not getting credit. Okay. And so if they assign credit to Biden for the W's, right, you would have to assign L's to Biden, right, where there's negatives such as a recession. I can't just selectively only account for positives on my balance sheet. All right. I got to factor in the profits and the losses. Right. And so voters, it would, you know, you're talking about the the success, the successes of the Biden administration. You know, if there's a recession, it kind of negates uh, pretty much everything. And so, you know, you would have to look at that. So the, the stock market is looking pretty good. The S&P year to date is up 14 percent. A big piece of the stock market has benefited from the surgence of artificial intelligence in terms of the stock prices of companies who have exposure to artificial intelligence. So the stock market right now, it looks pretty good, although the last two months have been a bit uh, shaky. And it looks like as of yesterday, it was the worst 10-day stretch of the year historically. So the stock market is looking pretty good in terms of year-to-date gains, but you know, in terms of the last, you know, month or so, things are starting to look a bit shaky. Maybe the stock market is just taking a breather before it continues to go up. But as of right now, Biden is looking pretty good from a stock market perspective. You know, you have student debt repayments coming online, so that's less money for that borrower to spend in the economy. And so, you know, that's a, that's another thing I, I want to pop out there that those student debt payments are uh, are starting back coming up within the next few months. And so that's less money to stimulate the economy, more money going into college debt. So the fourth factor is what I would call Black American voter fatigue. And so the fatigue, you know, this mentality. I would describe it as, you know what, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff in my life. You know, I've seen different leaders come and go and I've seen people say this and I've been excited about this. I've been excited about that. But at this point, this shit is not going to change. I don't see anything I can grab onto to get me excited about politics in the United States. It's not even about just party. And so I'm just tired. You know, I'm just going to focus on my family. 
Uh, you know, I got enough problems, you know, in my life and that I'm dealing with. I don't have time to give any more energy to some of this political stuff because nothing is going to change at the end of the day. And I haven't seen it change much. There's a fatigue setting in to black America. And with this particular psyche, you know, they don't see any leadership. Definitely wouldn't come from Barack Obama or Kamala Harris, right? But it's not coming from other leaders outside of it because our leadership has been captured. They're not going to see it from Al Sharpton. They're not going to see it from Mark Morial or some of the others. They're not going to see anything coming from the black mainstream leadership that excites them, that gives them hope, right? They're just going to keep on hearing the same old shit that they've heard before. Okay, so over time, there's a segment of black voters that are kind of like beat down. They're tired. Like, they, you know, they, they've hoped a lot. They've worked. They voted. They thought this. And then it, it never really turns into the reality that they think. They start thinking politics is a form of spook, meaning that it's kind of like, you know, people are selling me stuff about changes, but all I see them is a lot of them are getting rich. They're just saying this stuff, but nothing really changes in my community. It's nothing really to be hopeful about. And so this fatigue is setting in and, you know, you may say, Hey, uh, show me, show me the data that supports this idea that there's more fatigue, uh, setting in with the black American voter. So from the uh, Pew research center, they did a poll last month and it showed 44% of black Americans don't believe equality will ever be achieved in the United States. And so when you look at this and you're seeing like, hey, the Obama spook is wearing off and, you know, this all because you got black people, you know, black faces in high places, like that means things are going to change structurally. You know, the symbolism is going to lead to material results. Like once that stuff starts to wear off, okay, more and more people are coming over to the conclusions of Elijah Muhammad. Okay. And so of course, Elijah Muhammad concluded this stuff was not going to, this American experiment is not going to work. Okay. And so you're starting to see in the research, again, this is almost half the population. This is relatively new. 44% of black Americans don't believe equality will ever be achieved in the United States. So in our lifetime, you know, with people like Biden talking about, we have to start going under the Hispanic population because of their number, we got to start working with them. I wouldn't be surprised if that 44% starts to go towards 60, 70%, where there's a real kind of a conclusion that, hey, this American experiment is not going to work for us. There's no real pathway for this thing to, to work. And so I'm more of the referee just telling you kind of, you know, what's going on. It's not like, I think this is going to happen. I think that is going to happen on this particular point, but I'm just telling you almost half the population, they don't believe that equality is achievable in the United States. And the Democratic Party, you know, I would put a lot of blame on them because, you know, it's true. Okay. Hey, on some issues, they're a lot better than MAGA on some issues. Okay. But you know, when they are in office and they have power and they have a trifecta where they have the Congress, the Senate, the presidency, 
they don't look at it as, hey, we got two years, at least two years while we have while we have the Congress in it and the presidency. And of course, they had that under Obama. Obviously, there was a financial crisis going on, which complicates things. But, you know, you don't have the conviction within the Democratic Party to really get to the root causes and really tackle our situation. Okay, to reset the relationship uh, between the Democratic Party and Black American voters. So, you know, my estimate on this is that the Democratic Party, the way they're structured or malstructured is that they're not the type of people where they're just going to voluntarily reset the relationship with the Black American voter. They're not going to reset on their own, right? I got all of you, okay? You guys don't have any choices, really. What, you're going to vote for MAGA? You know, so the Democratic Party, they don't really have incentives to reset the unholy relationship with the Black American voter. So for them to reset and restructure their relationship, you know, something would need to happen. You would need something to happen in terms of some type of financial crisis, some type of shock, a lost election. You would need a loss of confidence in the American experiment itself, a dramatic loss of confidence into the system, into the leadership, where you would, you would loosen the conditions for people to demand a new type of leadership, where Nancy Pelosi, the Dianne Feinstein, the Obama, the Biden, you would need like a, a, a nonviolent coup in the Democratic Party where the population says, you guys had your run, you guys want to stay in office, like Ruth Bader, uh, she didn't stay in office, but of course she stayed in the Supreme Court, but you want to stay until you die at 90 and just run this stuff till the wheels fall off. You guys have been in office for all this time and this shit is the issues I care about. And our relationship with this system is so fucked up that I want just I want to try something different. I want all of you guys, Obama, Biden, Nancy Pelosi, all, Bernie Sanders, all of you motherfuckers, I want to try something new. We need a new leadership to come in to try to do something different. They may fail, but I want to try something different. I just don't want all you multimillionaires who got all of these relationships with Amazon and Google and Facebook and, you know, you guys got all this stuff going on. I want a new type of leadership. Okay. So from my perspective, the Democratic Party is incapable of changing on its own. So it would need some type of shock, some type of external force, or it would need a significant election loss our election losses where they see the black American voter has had enough. And, you know, are you telling people not to vote? I'm not saying that. This is just, you know, my evaluation, okay, is that they just would not change their orientation towards my people voluntarily. This is not somebody who says, I want to do the right thing by the black American voter. I want to do the right thing by you. So I'm going to change my ways. This is not that institution. Okay. It's not that simple. However, if they were to lose against MAGA, right, they would still likely blame the black American voter and they would say, we're not conservative enough. 
they would say, you guys, we still have too much woke stuff in our system and we need it to be more towards the center. If they lost, that doesn't mean that they restructured because they would likely just say, you know, we were too in the bed with the black Americans. Okay. So we need to move more towards Republicanism or a centrist position. However, if the Democrats were to lose against MAGA, you would still have at least a fight. Okay. You would have a fight that a lot of stuff needs to be changed in terms of how this party has been ran for the last few decades, at least. Okay. There's dramatic changes that we need, leadership changes, if we are to start winning again. Okay. Are sustainably winning where people are excited to vote for us in order to get people excited, particularly black Americans excited again, we need to go through these steps. Okay. We need new, a new leadership to produce different results. So, so just my observation is the only way the Democrats would get there is they would have to lose. Okay. And on this show, I'm going to, you know, do my best to avoid easy answers because if if the democrats were to lose you know what maga would do on that supreme court you know it would have consequences for potentially you know 20 30 40 years and so you know we're in a situation here where we're captured you know there is you're just fucked up either one you go right you go left you're fucked up if i if I try to send a message to the Democratic Party so they stop neglecting me and they start taking me serious, then I'm fucked up on the Supreme Court side. They're just going to load up the court. MAG is going to load up some more. And the Supreme Court is going to be set against the interests of Black Americans for the next 30 and 40 years. So I'm going to be really fucked up over there just for a chance to do something different here. And so anybody telling you, you know, hey, you shouldn't vote or, or any of that stuff, you're in a fucked up situation no matter which way you go. And so this is why the Princeton professor, Paul Freimer, when he looked at our situation and, you know, I love the terms that he used because this is somebody, you know, who really wants to understand our situation. And of course, you know, you could say, hey, why are you giving Paul Freimer props? You know, he's a white man. Yes, that's true. Malcolm X, Kwame Ture, so many other scholars and political scientists and activists, they have clearly documented this unholy relationship between us and the two-party political system and specifically the Democratic Party. So Paul Freimer is not an innovator in this area. But in terms of modern political science and really understanding our situation and expressing it from an academic standpoint, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work. So Paul Freimer, he uses the terms, he uses the terms that we're a captured electorate. You know, we're a captured voter where the loyalty is hurting us because we're all to one side. You know, we don't have, you know, much optionality and the Democrats they're more focused on not losing white or gaining more white, okay, than they are in making sure that they deliver results 
proportionally or commensurate with, hey, we have the ability to turn the election. So we decide the president, the black voter can just say, hey, I want this one or that one. And that person's winning. So we have a lot of power theoretically, but we can't get we don't get treated for the power we have because we're captured. And so this is the problem I have with the Democratic Party where, you know, you have James Clyburn or Kamala Harris. They'll say that our Joe Biden, they'll say America is not a racist country. But here's Paul Freimer telling you that, hey, if we all vote Democrat, we're, we're still so fucked up because of how racist the structure of the society is that we're captured. We can decide who's who's president, but we still can't get anything close to what we should be getting because we're black because of the history. And so Paul Freimer also referred to us as being invisible, where you have the political power to decide who's president. In a lot of cases, who's senator, who's, con- who's congressman or woman, but you still not get nothing. And not only that, you're invisible. The system doesn't even really see you. Now, because you have black faces in terms of Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, does that really mean the system is seeing us as we're supposed to be seen? No. A really intelligent system is going to put the black faces there because they would want to show that they are very progressive in this area. So if I can't get the structure to move, if I can't get the policies to move in your favor, if I can't change things structurally, I'm going to give you the spook. Okay, if I can't get this political science to you, I can't deliver real policy to you at the structural level with the power that you have to decide who's president, who's not. If I can't give you the science, I'm going to give you the spook. I have to give you the spook. And so the the way the blackface and high place strategy is moving or what I would call technology is if someone can't produce material results or policies, then they have to flood the zone with symbolism. Look, I put a black person here. I put you guys had a black VP. Shut up. You guys had a black president. Shut up. What else do you guys want? You know, I have to deliver symbolism to you because the company, because the country is too anti-black for me to get legislation through that's commensurate with your population and political power and what you deserve. I can't deliver that to you. So if I can't deliver the science, I'm going to deliver the spook to you. I'm going to show you the representation. I'm going to show you stuff that's superficial. And so we should look at it like too high interest rates. You know, in terms of being captured, as Paul Freimer describes it, uh, these are my words. These are not Paul Freimer's uh, here. But you know, let's say one payday. You you have to pay rent, okay? You have to pay rent. You have to pay your bills, and there's a lender that's charging you twenty five percent. Another lender is charging you forty percent. Okay, both of these are exploitive, right? Interest rates. They're bad interest rates. They're a bad deal. Both of them are a bad deal. And, you know, we can't say that because the 25% is lower than the 40, we can't say that's a good deal. And so I would like us to frame the idea of us being captured are invisible in terms of Dr. Paul Freimer. 
What I would like us to appreciate is that, look, these deals are both bad. These are these deals are both fucked up, you know. And if I do decide that I have to vote Democrat, where let's say, hey, I can't allow MAGA to just load up the court with more MAGA justices. You know, I can't have Trump just to load up the Supreme Court for the next 20, 30 years in that particular area. That if I do vote Democrat, I still need, it's not that I'm saying that this party is the party for us, that it's, you know, it's part of my identity, that this is the good side. There is no good or, or, or bad side here. Both of these parties are fucked up. Okay. I may have to vote for one. I perceive it as the lower interest rate between the two, but it's still a payday loan. I need to put food on the table. You know, I need to pay these daycare expenses. So yes, I will take the payday loan. That's the situation we're in. That's, that's kind of being captured. You know, you know that the Democratic Party is only going to throw parties. You know, they're going to do a backyard hip hop party with, you know, too short. And, you know, a lot of the rappers, you know, they're going to go to some HBCUs and do all the stuff when it's campaign season. You know, they're going to throw out some holidays, you know, to give you a, a Juneteenth holiday. But actually, should they even get credit for that, that symbolism? Because Trump proposed a Juneteenth holiday. Uh, that idea was promoted by Donald Trump in his platinum plan. So, you know, the Democrats are throwing out this symbolism, holidays, hip hop parties, and, you know, this type of stuff that you see. They're going to show up, start showing up at the churches. Obama's going to start coming out. You know, they're going to start talking about sweet talk here and there, but they're not really going to talk to you about anything transformative as it relates to Black America. Now, at the same time, they're going to tell you that America is not racist. I can't do anything for you. Even if you vote, you come out like Million Man March and all you guys vote for me. I still can't do nothing for you because the way this society is structured, they're never going to tell you that, right? So, like, hey, man, what you're, what you're saying is, sounds very pessimistic. And, you know, when we get to reparations policy, you know, do I believe that reparations, the idea of reparations is a form of spook? in terms of selling a pipe dream to the black American population when the opposition is so strong? And my answer to that is yes. Reparations can be a form of spook, some type of pipe dream, unless you see the nonviolent coup that I talked about earlier in this episode. Okay, you would need a dramatic leadership change in Black America, in terms of the leadership that's sitting on top of Black America and how it's captured by the Democratic Party and the government, okay, the White House, in terms of calling shots, in terms of playing both sides. So they get to defend themselves. And then the people who are on the outside supposedly checking the government, they're bossed up getting orders from the government too. So the U.S. government, particularly when the Democrats are in power, they now have neutralized the opposition where they have controlled opposition. Okay, so they can do what they're going to do. And then the leaders who are supposed to be checking them, that's their people too, right? So 
reparations would not really gain traction in the United States in terms of you see the popularity and it's moving. Yes, it's going, things are going in the right direction. Uh, you see the, the great people in California, Camila Moore and the reparations task force. They have great things going on in California, but I do not see reparations really developing materially until there's a restructuring of how the black American voter relates to the Democratic Party. That, you know, we would need to change the leadership and how we interact with the Democratic Party. And again, I don't think that you can change that by just keep on voting Democrat and the same leaders, same structures. You would need a restructuring of our situation with the Democratic Party. And so the cost of this restructuring Unfortunately, because the, the options are so fucked up, you know, both you go right, you go left, you're still messed up. But the, the chance to restructure with the Democratic Party, it looks like it has to come through an election loss. Biden has to lose to even have a, have a chance at restructuring. Uh, and then you're going to lose the, you're going to lose more of the Supreme Court. And that has long term implications, of course. And so the fifth factor to Biden winning against MAGA is Ukraine. And so I'm going to play a clip here in terms of all the, the billions and billions that are going out to Ukraine, tens of billions of dollars going out to Ukraine in mainly military aid. You know, I'm going to let Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, talk about What's really going on with the money there? On another issue, uh, looking forward to seeing President Zelensky on Thursday. I think it's always good to remind everyone that a good portion of the money allocated to Ukraine is being spent in this country to rebuild our industrial base. So, you know, when Mitch McConnell, he keeps it real with the American public, at least on this front, he says, look, all this money going out to Ukraine, this is helping our industrial base. A lot of these, you know, the Raytheons, the big military contractors, that this money, this, is, this war is a business. You know, he's kind of telling you that war is a business, okay? And I'm going to keep it real with you that this is actually has a stimulative impact on the economy. So, how he's looking at the money going out to Ukraine and how it feeds the war machine, the military machine, and how that's connected to the U.S. economy, that's how you got to look at illegal immigration too, because that's how they're looking at it, okay? They're connecting all the dots, and you know, in a lot of cases, this stuff is coming down to, to money. And so with Ukraine, you, know, you hear liberal Democrats uh, talk about climate change and hey, the world's going to end, you know, climate, it's going to be a catastrophic in 10, 20 years, the world is going to end due to climate. Okay, this, this, you know, we only, we only have a little time left. We got to act fast tomorrow, yesterday about the climate. But what's crazy is that the orientation towards climate change and it being a disaster for the human population, you know, hey, the world's going to end, the world's going to end. You know, there's this kind of, this urgency. But when it comes to a potential World War III, where the nukes come out, you know, 
we don't see that from the Democratic Party. So the Democratic Party is more of a, like a war party now. You know, so, you know, how it's supporting Ukraine and risking a broader war or potentially a nuclear war over Ukraine will risk it all over Ukraine. We're not going to risk nothing for you, the black American. We won't risk nothing. But we will risk nuclear war over our interests in Ukraine. You know, we'll risk it all for Ukraine, but we're not going to risk anything for you. We can't even, you know, uh, pass a George Floyd Police Reform Act, a little soft, weak police reform act. We, we're not going to risk anything for you people. You know, we will risk it all for Ukraine. But I noticed that the discrepancy uh, where, hold up, you're saying that there's all this risk associated with climate but you don't you people don't talk about the risks associated with nuclear war that once these nukes come out right that is a real risk to the human population on the planet okay so how you're and this goes back to think about how the democrats have been managing their risk as it relates to politics and the Supreme Court, that they've really been overconfident or mispricing high-level risk with their politics. But now they're playing Russian roulette with this Ukraine policy. And so, you know, these elections are being won on razor-thin margins. Okay, it's coming down in some states to hundreds and thousands of voters in the strategically important states. And so I do think that, you know, there's a risk to Biden winning that relates to the funding for Ukraine and risking a nuclear war. And so, no, I'm not talking about the majority of the country. I'm talking about just enough in specific states, such as Nevada, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, that there could be a voter that shows up, okay, where they want to put World War III off the table. They may say, hey, there's a Biden is more likely to get me into a nuclear war than Trump with Russia. Okay, so if my calculation is that Biden is higher risk as it relates to a nuclear war, then I want to, just like the liberal and the socialist, let's say we need to act fast on climate, but I want to put the nuclear war off the table. Like the stuff that I care about politically, that stuff is serious, but it's just like the, some people with the climate, it's not as serious as a nuclear calamity, a nuclear holocaust. So there could be a voter that shows up in sufficient numbers where Biden loses because of his, his war strategy with Ukraine, okay? And there's some people that, that would want to take the possibility of nuclear war off the table, and they see Biden as, hey, this option is more likely to get the nukes to come out where things go really left on an escalation over this Ukraine mess. So, you know, that's the fifth factor, Ukraine. So 
this is it. This is going to wrap uh, things up. Peace. Hope you enjoyed the show.